Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reesmandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. And we're very pleased to welcome back Professor Christopher Terry from the University of Minnesota. Welcome, Chris. Hey, it's great to be here. And uh, so we're going to follow up on a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where um, we got off on a tangent talking about indecency, the regulation of content in broadcast. And, um, you know, I think there are so many misconceptions. And, and, and what, I, what I learned in that conversation, Chris, is that I was chagrined even my, with my own um, misconceptions or sort of misremembered histories of indecency and its regulation uh, by the Federal Communications Commission on the airways. And, Paul, we should let listeners know that this might be one of the hottest topics that Radio Survivor has yet to really dive into deeply in the history of the show. It's a, it's a topic that every station, every volunteer, every professional has to have on their mind. And what people think they know about indecency when they work at a radio station or listen to a radio station, uh, it's true. They know it, but but the, what they should know, it's it's a whole other story. Yes, and 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 in part because it's a moving target, and we'll sort of cover a little bit of that. We'll go through some of this history because there have been different uh, sort of eras of enforcement, and and even different eras on what was considered enforceable. The definition is a little slippery and and subject to change, and and often out of fully good due diligence. A broadcaster might be relying on a definition that already maybe is outdated. Um, and in some cases, the outdated this could have been they're relying on a definition that's too permissive or or one that's too restrictive. And so sort of out of out of both our own interest and our intrinsic interest and also out of sort of service to folks who work in broadcasting and folks even, you know, as listeners who've always wondered why certain things can or can't be broadcast or why broadcasters choose uh to to censor certain things um we want to go down this path and the reason why chris in particular is a, is a great person for us to talk to is that uh, chris you published a paper was it was it this year or last year it was two years ago two years, two years ago, ago right and and it was in response to a specific instance of indecent content uttered by the former uh the former president um that forced uh, broadcasters in the position of, of figuring out how they wanted to 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 report on it and and in so doing what you did is you wrote and I what I consider to be the the clearest <laughs> most straightforward and yet comprehensive summary of indecency enforcement in broadcast United States I've ever seen I've never seen it summarized quite so easily and um, and so we're very lucky to have you at to join us to help help step us through um, what content in you know uh, sort of regulation in the United States has looked like and does look like, but to sort of return to kind of first premises here, I would love if you would start us off with defining what is indecency in broadcast. Sure, indecency is often conflated and mistaken with the other concept, and that is obscenity. Obscenity is unprotected speech, which means the First Amendment doesn't defend a speaker if they've engaged in obscene speech. Indecent speech is different. 
indecent speech is protected by the First Amendment because it's not obscene. And it is regulated by the FCC for a under what is known as a time, place, and manner restriction, which means that it can be aired by broadcasters, but only during a certain times of day. Now, it's a long story on how we got to what that time window was, but what they call that time window is safe harbor. And that means that a local broadcast station, whether they be TV or radio, can air indecent but not obscene content between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. local time. And the 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. window, they may not. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem with that is what you kind of laid out in the intro, is that what constitutes something under those regulations, what is indecent material, has changed Many times. There are five major periods of indecency enforcement, each of which basically had its own version of what constituted indecency. But indecency and obscenity are often conflated. They are not the same thing. Indecency is protected speech. Obscenity is not. So no broadcaster at any time is protected from FCC action in a case of obscenity. But obscenity has a very specific legal test that the Supreme Court set out in 1970s in the Miller v. California decision. It's a long test. We don't need to go into it. Um, Justice Potter Stewart said at the time, obscenity is you know it when you see it. Right. Indecency, ironically enough, is exactly the opposite. You may be seeing it and not know it, or you may be doing it and not realizing it. And of course... As we talked about a couple weeks ago, the lines here are often a little vague, and they've changed several times in the last 20 years. Well, three of the five periods of indecency enforcement have occurred in the last 20 years. And that, of course, is you know part of the story of indecency that broadcasters have to have. I mentioned last week that the confusion about the idea of indecency is very common. When Clear Channel settled all of its pending indecency complaints with the FCC So that's in a radio company, now known as iHeartRadio, but used to, right. you know, formerly known as Clear Channel, the largest owner of radio stations in the U.S. They had several pending indecency complaints, and they went to the FCC after the 2004 Super Bowl uh, and said, you know, we'd like to settle these. And the FCC let them do so all of their outstanding ones through a consent decree. Part of that agreement that the company, Clear Channel, made with the Federal Communications Commission at the time was to give compliance training to all of its on-air staff on what constituted indecency. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago on the program, when I took that training as a Clear Channel producer, it was out of date Mm -hmm. uh, by about 20 years at the time that I took it. And I mean, I wouldn't have known that except I, by the time that I took that, I was in grad school and had a pretty solid grasp on the regulation aspect of this. Which again, I should, I just want to mention is going to be a theme throughout the program of out of date information being given to radio professionals and volunteers that's supposed to help them and, uh, is just going to confuse the issue of what you can say on the radio or play on the radio and get in trouble for. Well, part of that's a good lead in. 
part of why this has been so confused is how it starts. There's actually a provision on indecency and obscenity in the 1927 Radio Act, saying that a broadcast licensee at the time could not engage in either of those two things. That section is repeated verbatim in the 1934 Communications Act and eventually gets into 1864 of the U.S. Code, making it a essentially a you know criminal action to engage in indecency and obscenity. Nothing happens though. The FCC takes no action on indecency for many years. So, so is that a matter of, in some ways, I mean, the broadcasting looked very different, say, in the 1940s or 50s. Is it because broadcasters were not inclined to test the limits? Is it because uh, broadcasters, you know, in the way that we, we think of television broadcasters do in the U.S., they have like a standards and practices department, which sort of oversees what is permissible both for legal compliance but often for political and or reasons having to do with sponsorships and things like this. With a, with a, with a broadcaster simply not testing the boundaries or um, – you know, self-regulating, really responding more, uh, you know, more promptly to to say uh, the kind of flack they might get from elected officials, you know, uh, citizens groups, etc. It, it certainly seems that way, but it just doesn't seem like it was a regulatory priority for the FCC um, at the time. You know, back in the fifties, especially with television, there were all kinds of boards of censorship. You know, lots of material had to be pre-screened, so. You know, it was less likely that something would get out, uh, ironically, in an era where a lot of programming was actually filmed live. Um, there was, you know, there was a, a lot of pressure to make sure those types of things didn't happen. Now, the first significant period of indecency enforcement follows the Pacifica decision. But the FCC actually made an indecency finding prior to... To Pacifica. And Pacifica was in 1978, right? Uh, yes. Famously, you know, so famous that we maybe don't even have to mention uh, George Carlin's bit about what you can say on the radio was played on the radio. That's okay. We'll get we'll get to Pacifica in a minute because Pacifica is yeah. really really important. But the first case is really interesting. It's about a college radio station. They had an interview with Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. So, so actually, Chris, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually, I looked this up. I, I went back, and it's W H W H Y, which is actually a public station, and it was the precursor to W H Y Y in Philadelphia. So the station that most people know for airing um, and producing Fresh Air with Terry Gross right. was yeah. the station in 1970 that, that received this fine. It's fascinating. Um, so Garcia comes on, and it's, you know, it's a fairly milquetoast music, musician interview with a music DJ at the time. And Garcia is apparently intoxicated, which, if anybody knows anything about the Grateful Dead, would not surprise you in any way. Garcia uses a string of profanities during the interview, and the FCC issues a small fine to the station. I believe it was $100. Yeah, that's all it was. <laughs> I was going to say it was 100 bucks. Now, what happens is, is that broadcasters start to they see that, and much as they did with the Mayflower Doctrine and the Blue Book, they immediately react to what it means. Not the $100, 
but that all of a sudden the FCC is actually going to start imposing some sanctions for this. But it isn't. Is it it, is is it too early to say that what Jerry Garcia said on the radio were essentially adjectives and verbs? He didn't describe. I'm assuming he didn't describe things that were indecent. He just used spicy words, expletives, as 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 we would call it, profanity. I mean, it was it was just a profane discussion, the kind you might have at the corner bar. You know, very similar to that. So the FCC sort of puts people on notice that, you know, you got to keep it clean, right? But it's the Pacifica case where indecency really begins. Carlin records this monologue. It's 14 minutes long, and it's the seven words you can't say on television. He continued to do the bit for most of his stand-up career for years and years and years, and he he actually added words to it later. It's the original recording of it. It's an audio recording that the Pacifica radio station in New York plays. Now, they play it in the middle of the afternoon as part of a larger discussion. So it's not played for its entirety shock value. It's played as part of a larger context discussion about contemporary language use, which is really what the monologue is actually about. Now, it's a hilarious monologue. If, and if you haven't heard it, you really should go listen to the original version of the, of the monologue. Yeah, George, anyway. Carlin is, George Carlin is pointing out the, the weird hypocrisy or, or paradox sure. of here are these words that you can't say, here are these words you can. What, what is the deal with all this? Now, the Pacifica Station was aware of the content uh, before they aired it. And they aired the, the bit, and then they... Uh, but before they did that, they played a disclaimer that it was a little racy. And the FCC receives only one complaint from the New York market for the broadcast. A father and his teenage son were driving in the car. They turned it on about quarter of the way through and heard it. Father wrote a letter to the FCC. FCC takes it. So they, they don't find Pacifica. They write them a very nasty letter, right? And put a sanction in them. And this is still at the time where we're ahead of deregulation. The sanction for doing this is pretty significant. It's going to count against Pacifica when they try to renew the license for the station, which is that's a big deal. Pacifica challenges, gets up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court actually is asked to deal with two very similar but radically different issues. One, can the government regulate this speech on a constitutional basis for broadcasters? And does the FCC have the statutory authority? Did did Congress actually give the FCC the power to do this? Now, again, no one has ever asked this question in a legal context. So those are how those two questions get resolved. And the court looks at the monologue and they make a really interesting argument. They agree that the FCC has a statutory authority going back to the 20s. That, that's never been tested. It you know, becomes part of that. But on the constitutional question, they go back to the oldest idea in broadcasting. Scarcity, right? They go to scarcity. But they also make it kind of an interesting argument that broadcasting is a very pervasive media. You turn it on and you hear it or you see it. Right, And that parents should have the right to control this. Now, they don't go against the idea that it's protected speech. That comes on later later in a different case. But they say 
the FCC definitely has the power to control broadcasts that have indecent but not obscene speech. And that's a question that hadn't been resolved. Now, the, the decision is interesting for its historical context, but what comes out of the decision is more interesting in the discussion of regulation of indecency. Hold on. And that is that Carlin's seven dirty words, his seven dirty words, are literally the definition of indecency for the FCC for the next 20 years. And that's an important part of the story. He did the dirty work. He did. The FCC, after Pacifica, but before Sykes takes over at the FCC, the seven dirty words are what it takes to get the FCC on an actionable situation. You so know, it, it's, you know, it's really important. It's a seven and dirty ironic. words become really important. And it, ironic. It ironic. And, and one thing I just wanted to tease out a little bit here, right? Because you sort of, you went through that, the argument here from the Supreme Court saying that the broadcasting is both, it's scarce. There's a scarcity of bandwidth. There's a scarcity of airways, and it's pervasive. And I don't want to leave the scarcity argument behind because it, it's still, it, it kind of undergirds still so much of how we, we understand broadcasting, right? And and becomes less, I think, common sense in, in an internet era where where bandwidth, where the ability to have a channel appears infinite in, in certain ways. Um, whereas with broadcasting, you know, on your FM dial, you have 88 to 108 megahertz and only so many stations will fit there. And as we've talked over the years at radio survivor here, there are many efforts like low power FM to try and find ways to squeeze a few more radio stations onto the band, but ultimately it is finite. And, And so the Supreme court is sort of saying here that broadcasters get this extremely valuable, scarce resource from the federal government. At the time, for no charge. And so it also therefore justifies that the federal government have more say in sort of regulating it. And, and, it, and, it, and it sits in, in contrast to the press, to, to newspapers, to, to, to uh, printed matter, which ostensibly does not get regulated for indecency because there's the idea that the only barrier to having a press is owning a press. You don't need a license there's not all the same strictures there is to getting a radio station and why sort of indecency regulations uniquely apply, you know, to, to the, to the airwaves while they, while they do not apply to, to other realms of life. And I just think it's important to kind of go back to that for people to kind of keep that in the back of their, of their minds of, of you know, that of course, as we talked about in our, in uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we'll put that uh, link to that discussion in the show notes that has sort of undergirded and justified that, um, that the airways be be managed and be regulated at all by the by the Federal yeah. Communications Commission, but it, it continues to undergird when it comes to indecency. I want to go back, oh, I, Christopher. You should just answer whichever you, know, you should take it in whatever direction we, we should go in. But I want to mention that of the seven dirty words that George Carlin decided were the words you could you could not say on broadcast television. I would say that two of them, to this day aren't that bad and sort of drive radio people crazy because they're very easy to say and not such a big deal. And I'm not going to say them, but they're kind of... And you've heard them kinder, on television. And you've heard they're them They're kindergarten. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. not a big deal, these dirty words now, uh, 30 years later. The rest of them can stay on the list. And then I would add a, a couple more like racial epithets, right, to the dirty words that should not go on broadcast. 
Well, you're getting off track there, though, because those words aren't indecent, right? That's That comes down to what this is about. So after Pacifica, the FCC would only take action in an indecency case um, if one of the seven dirty words was at stake, right? It was uttered uh, with intent to shock and, uh, you know, repetitively. And that was sort of the loose standard it applied. But the FCC did not, like the Fairness Doctrine, it was more myth than actuality. But something changes. In 1987... Um, we're getting towards the end of the Reagan administration. The FCC has gone through some pretty significant deregulatory proceedings and we've had sort of a rollover there. And what happens in 1987 is there's hearings in Congress where people are starting to object to some of the things that they're seeing on their television and hearing on their radio, which would meet the definition of a sexual or excretory act um, which is what indecency is about, uh, but didn't include one of the seven dirty words. And, it, you know, if you remember what late 80s television was like, there was all kinds of sex scenes and basically every hour-long show, you know, that was the era of Miami Vice and all those types of shows. And so there started to be a little pressure put on the FCC to do something about, you know, indecency that wasn't covered by the seven dirty words. And although um, it didn't remain a priority for the FCC, Albert Sykes is appointed the chair. And um, when Albert Sykes, uh, it's Sherry Marshall and Andrew Barrett are appointed FCC commissioners, uh, indecency is the thing that the, the, um, the Senate, when it's reviewing their nominations, asks them about the most. Prior to that, it had basically never been asked of a commissioner. Maybe, you know, there's an odd question about it, but it was it was never, never an issue. But all of a sudden, after Sykes, this becomes a significant issue. And, and after not really enforcing the rules beyond the seven dirty words, under Sykes's leadership, he's chair of the FCC for about four years. They 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 make about 20 fines, which is a lot. And they also expand the fine to $25,000, which so, so is basically, a we're, we're massive go- amount of money at the so, time. So we're going from the first fine in 1970 of $100 to the second fine in 1978 for no dollars, but perhaps restrictions. It goes on Pacifica's permanent record. To jumping forward now, you know, about 10, you know, 10 to, to 14 years to 20 fines being dropped with maximum fines being up to $25,000. So it really is, it's, it, it, we, we kind of take that indecency regulation for granted these days, but to think about that that, that ramp up happened in such a short period back in, in the late 80s and early 90s kind of puts it in, in, in stark relief. You can understand why certain baby boomer radio professionals would have the fear of the seriousness put into them for the rest of their careers. Well, definitely, because in, you know, after just a handful of odd fines, you have 20 under Sykes's leadership, you've got 17 more um, under Reed Hunt, and then you have 18 after that uh, during the Clinton administration under William Kennard. I mean, it's this unprecedented number of fines, 
in a relatively short amount of time. And 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 it's across the aisle, right? This is it starts yeah, off not, under under the um, George H. W. Bush administration, right. but then bridges into the Clinton administration. Right. And are we, is it is it a reasonable question to ask if they're focusing on uh, people on television saying things or the the lyrics of songs? So in under Sykes's leadership, they ex- sort of the pressure that put on the FCC as Sykes becomes chair is to say, okay, the seven dirty words are problematic, but there's a lot of other things that are appearing on TV and radio that are also problematic. So they have a three-part test at the time on the seven dirty words, which remain part and parcel of indecency enforcement. Two of which seem pretty tame. (laughs) Uh, Sexual innuendo, which they defined as when the sexual meaning of speech was inescapable, right? And when that was patently offensive descriptions of sexual or excretory activities or organs. Now, you can see how that would be really subjective. But there's another part of the story. Who got their start in radio during this time? Very famous person most closely associated with indecency, and that would be, gentlemen, Howard Stern. I was going to let Paul say it. Howard Stern. So, in fact... A sizable percentage of all indecency fines in the United States history have gone to stations for airing Howard Stern's program. So that's two things that happen back to back. Okay. Um, 1994 under the Clinton administration becomes pretty significant year for enforcement. The commission collects close to $675,000 in fines that year. Um, But ironically, it's just for seven fines, right? So for all the scare that indecency is, there's only seven fines issued that year. It's a lot of money, but it's only seven fines. And they were all for radio. There was not a single indecency finding against television. And one of the really funny things about indecency, not funny, uh, curious things about indecency, is radio is far more likely, radio content is far more likely to be ruled indecent by the commission than television. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, on the one hand... Howard Stern uh, may have been a bit uh, at the forefront, but he sort of brought ushered in a wave of so-called shock jocks at that time, right? So other either imitators or folks who were doing similar sorts of things, trying to push at the boundaries, um, you know, and all competing with each other, of course. So for those for those ratings, but also you, you talk about, you know, a morning show that is dominated by talk. That's three hours to fill and it's three hours to fill usually every live every day, every day. And so, the, you know, just simply the way a conversation can kind of possibly, say, spiral out of control or just, you know, all sorts of setups, it can go on and on and on versus uh, music programming where you might, you know, the voice uh, break is going to last a minute or two or versus television, which the, the vast majority of which uh, that's entertainment is is pre-recorded was, and, and not live. It was also in the morning. They were filling all this airtime right. with, with the outside of safe obscenity. Harbor. Yes, in in the morning and and Christopher, indecency, uh, not filling it with obscenity, but in filling it with indecency, indecent, indecent language. So what happens though is that you have some of these shock jocks who are actually nationally syndicated. Bubba the Love Sponge would be one example of this, who's on at night. So in some markets he's actually in safe harbor, and in some markets his show, which is being syndicated, uh, isn't. And that, of course, is it. Howard Stern is number one. 
Bubba the Love Sponge is number two in all-time indecency hmm. uh, fines issue. And so we're really talking about commercial commercial radio. and Largely. There, I mean, there's a few TVs in there, but it, v- the vast majority of them are for radio. What about, a, the, what about non-commercial? What about college and community radio stations? There's a handful, but yeah. not many, yeah. right? Most of the time, the FCC won't issue a fine to a college station. It happens, but uh, they tend to get a nasty letter. Uh, in I know uh, when I was in broadcasting school, one of the uh, Wisconsin stations had a case where they they didn't get a fine. They got a strongly worded stop or we'll say stop again kind of letter. Um, I remember getting I remember seeing that in broadcasting school and being and, terrified I mean, of it at the is time. It, is it dumb to ask with because I mean, the, it seems like I mean, so the money, the fine is a big deal, the, the, the fine. But the the threat of and now when your license is up for renewal, we're going to consider this. How does that impact Pacifica Radio, which you know had its own red well, scare? Concerns? That was that was Pacifica's concern at the time of the Pacifica case is that this was going to weigh against them very heavily in a license renewal situation. Certainly, Pacifica um, has a point of view, and that point of view isn't always popular and you know, it was entirely reasonable to think that there might be a license challenge if they had a major strike against them. Still in because the remember, of the Cold during War, this time, remember this and- time, you could only lose your license for a violation of the Communications Act, right? We had already gotten through deregulation the first round, and, you know, it had to be part of a license renewal. There had to be some sort of law infraction. And that's... You know, that was what Pacifica was very concerned about in the in the case. So we have Pacifica. Seven dirty words are indecency enforcement for better part of a decade. Then we have Sykes. Sykes runs us through the Canard era at the commission. So and we're the up 90s. to about yeah. And, and through the end thing, of the nineties. I, I also I, I want to take before we, we, we go on and go further into the twenty first century, you know, I think one thing I, I would like to, to to ask you about Chris, I mean, I think that often both listeners and viewers and broadcasters think that or assume that there are people at the FCC or or the FCC as in general get off on this. Like this is this is like this is like the big cop walking the beat with a big stick, looking looking the you know pound on doors, issue fines. You know, it's like a speed trap and and they're prowling out there looking to enforce indecency and, you know, sort of and, and, and that was sort of maybe even like a change in the FCC in the 90s that all of a sudden the FCC decided it wanted more power, that this is a power grab by the FCC. Is that what happened? Is that what was going on? No, it just became a legislative priority that Congress was sort of asking the FCC why it wasn't doing more about this. And I mean, you it's really hard to put things in context. If you weren't alive at the end of the 80s, you can't remember what our culture was, sort of where we were culturally at that point, right? That was the peak of the moral majority, right? That was the PMRC. That the was Parents all Music of, Resource Center, which was right. raising lots of concerns in Congress about the lyrics of rock music. Right. So, I mean, you know, it was, and it was rap. radically and rap. different music. era. Yeah. Uh, popular music, right. I mean, John Denver went to the hearings, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's crazy to think that I'm old enough to remember all of those things, but I, you know, I was a snot-nosed punk rocker back then. I remember all those things. So, uh, 
But to, to your point, Paul, there isn't people at the FCC who sit around and monitor this content. They act on complaints that come in from citizens. And there is a very lengthy process that goes into adjudicating an indecency complaint. Sometimes it actually takes longer to adjudicate it than the statute of limitations <laughs> allows mm -hmm. for the fine to be issued. There's been several, not several, a handful anyway, of fines that the FCC was going to issue but had to, re had to revoke because it didn't finish the process of reviewing the complaint and the material in the time that the statute of limitations uh, covered. But at the end of the Kennard era, the end of the Clinton administration, um, we go into the election year 20, 2000, and the FCC is still issuing some fines, but it, it's starting to dial it back. We had a big year in 1994, still some other significant years in there, but really numerically we're, we're only talking about maybe 60-ish fines up to this point. Right, it's not very many, um, and uh, you're, you know, you, you you have to really think about that because I was in broadcasting at this time, and it was still considered a really bad thing if even a stray f bomb or s word, you know, on a hot mic, or I produced a lot of sports. Sometimes you'd pick something up from the field or the crowd. I mean, you know. I remember having to keep a log of that stuff uh, when we would do sports broadcasts. You know, there was one at, you know, 1151 in the third quarter that made it out, you know, that might have been on the air. You know, and I can remember, I mean, I, you know, it was still a still a big enough deal. But under the second Bush administration, the W administration, um, the FCC sort of responds to broadcasters like we need a little bit more clarity on what constitutes indecency. And of course you always should be careful what you ask for. Um, much as the story with the blue book, the story with the indecency guidelines is very similar. The FCC comes out with a new set of guidelines and these are a lot more, well, not specific is in the right word. They're a lot more subjective. Um, they cover basically everything that's been covered, but there's a three part test to it. All right, I'm going to walk you through the three-part test. Part one, the explicitness or graphic nature of the description or depiction of sexual excretory organs or activities. Now, now that they've now included organs in there. Before, it was just activities, right? Second part, whether the material dwells on or repeats at length descriptions of sexual excretory organs or activities, and whether, third part, whether or not the material appears to pander, is used to titillate, or whether the material has been presented for its shock value. Now, this three-part test is accompanied with two other elements. Number one, that the standard is not a local standard. Remember, mm -hmm. for obscenity, it is. It's a state standard, right, that applies a federal test to a state law. State law for obscenity. But indecency is not a local standard. And it requires that it be patently offensive to a contemporary listener. Now, this is a, this is a really messy standard, right? We're, half, we're halfway through the show. Can we redefine obscenity and indecency sure. for me and the listeners? Obscenity is unprotected speech about prurient sexual activity. 
indecency is a range of other material that is protected speech. Obscenity may never be aired on a broadcast station. Indecency may be aired at certain times of day, but also not regular, not aired during other and, times. And of Chris, day. to your knowledge, has there ever been a prosecution of obscenity on the airways? No, um, because that would be an unprotected speech issue. It would right, be very and, and, and broadcasters are very careful. Are it. very ultimately, there are very few obscenity trials. Period in yeah. history, and as we get. And in, in recent history, they, they're, they're fewer and far between. I, I just well, want to point that out because I know that that division often causes broadcasters consternation as well, that they're accidentally somehow going to trip over into obscenity during a safe harbor. And it's highly unlikely by and large. So um, the thing about obscenity is after Miller, it's actually really hard to have something be legally obscene and thus unprotected speech because it's the test is protects so much speech that people might think of as obscene. The difference between something being obscene and being legally obscene is pretty significant. But what happens is, is this new set of guidelines goes on the book and the FCC continues its sort of ticky tack enforcement mechanism where it throws a couple at Howard Stern. There's a couple at Bubba the Love Sponge, Opie and Anthony get one. It's another syndicated radio show. There's one in there for television. You know, it's, it's just, we're still doing it, but we're not taking it really seriously. And then in February of 2004, something really significant happens. During the halftime Super Bowl show, Justin Timberlake removes a piece of Janet Jackson's costume, exposing her breast, which is partially covered at the time, uh, for 19 30 seconds of a second. It is all the time it is on the screen. So there's 32, at the time, there's 32 frames, 32 images in a second of video. The partially exposed breast is available for 19. It's viewable for 19 of 32 frames before she covers herself and it goes away. It's the most TiVoed moment in television history, by the way. Okay. Well, despite the fact that the FCC has been in issuing indecency fines, it hasn't taken it super seriously. It's done no more than sort of service the idea that this is a problem. Of course, after this, the commission gets more than 1,400,000 complaints about the Super Bowl halftime show. And, and we'll and, note that, that at this point, I, something to t keep in mind, in 1984, these complaints had to be submitted by letter. By this time, 2004, they can be submitted by email. They can be submitted but, by, uh, by, by the Internet. Still a significant portion of them are mailed sure. to the FCC at this time. It's, you know, it's still that was 17 years ago now. It's, it was still not as common as it would be today to have an electronic campaign. But, I mean, people went berserk when this happened. So the FCC essentially decides that it's going to do everything it can to make a point about how much it's enforcing indecency. Now, it's using this three-part test, and its response, of course, is limited by the fact that it can only fine stations. It can't fine networks. So they can't go after CBS directly. Hmm. The best they can do is go after the CBS stations that are owned and operated by the CBS network. Hmm. So the local affiliates that CBS 
its parent company actually owns. That's 27 stations. And the largest fine the FCC can issue in response to the Janet Jackson Super Bowl incident is $550,000. That is a statutory maximum at the time times these stations. That's the, that's the best they can literally do for this because they can't get at it. And Commissioner Copps points out that's less than a second, that's less than one thirty second worth of commercial at the time. And the broadcasters kind of sit up when he says that and like, well, yeah. So the FCC is at a crossroads. They've got a very subjective test that they subjectively enforce. But they have a public outcry for indecency enforcement in a way that no one ever imagined could happen. So 2004 becomes the pinnacle moment for indecency enforcement. And guess how many fines they actually issue that year? So you remember when this happened, Eric. You remember how big a deal this was. You remember the fear that it invoked in Clear Channel, Viacom, and Emmis, who went to the FCC and said, you know what, we'd really like to settle all these pending indecency Those complaints we have. Those are the three biggest broadcasters <laughs> yeah. in radio at that time, yeah. Yeah, and they were like, you know, we'd really like to just pay you some money and make these go away, right? The fear, again, that sort of that fear of it. It's 12, 12 fines, only one of which was for content that aired in 2004. The FCC went back and found complaints that were making its way through this juggernaut of illegal process and picked some juicy ones out of there and issued fines in those cases. Nine of them are for radio, three are for television, including the Super Bowl. Okay. And (laughs) what we see is that the FCC is starting to take this very seriously. But what ends up happening is people start to challenge some of these fines. And in notable case, the FCC uh, issues a $1.3 million fine to Fox television stations. And they give it to all of the affiliates that ran the program. It was a program called Married by America. They had an episode where there was a bachelor and a bachelorette party with some poorly pixelated trips to the nudie bar, uh, so to speak, during the bachelor and bachelorette party. Reality Fox challenges that and it goes to the Supreme Court and through a series of decisions, one at the Supreme Court, one back at the D.C. Circuit, and then again at the Supreme Court, the FCC loses its ability to use the 2001 guidelines. But while that process is unfolding, A group called the Parents Television Council is putting a ton of pressure on the FCC. And in 2006, the FCC expands the 2001 FCC definition of what is indecency. And in this version, large sections of which were very clearly written by the Parents Television Council and adopted by by the FCC, made the utterance of the S word or the F word, automatically indecent. Hmm. And in response to the Super Bowl incident, because the FCC was basically unable to find enough money to have a threat over these broadcasters, Congress has expanded the the fine to $325,000 for fine. So these 2006 rules, every single utterance of the S word or the F word, whether it has a sexual excretory context or not, is automatically indecent 
and subject to a $325,000 fine. This gets wrapped into the court case that is happening over these Fox television affiliates that were fined uh, this rather large sum of money for the Married by America program. And Christopher, Terry, you're walking us through the history of obscenity and indecency and how the FCC regulates it on broadcast. And it's incredible to me. You know, I knew this already, but now it's even more clear how that television the biggest you know the biggest entertainment in america television and radio are operating with the same uh, regulatory body and framework as non-commercial radio and community radio and college radio yeah but yes. but are they are they in the same well unless there's ballpark? a complaint the fcc won't act right the reaction in 2012 to these and or 2004, to these 12 fines, is a direct reaction to this compl- the million four hundred thousand complaints the FCC got at the time of the Super Bowl. But for all of the damage in 2004, the FCC issues zero fines for indecency in 2005. Then it issues the new rules in 2006, partially in response to Bono from U2, who's getting an award, who goes up and says it's really effing brilliant that he got this award. So that becomes the Golden Globes case. So you have the 2001 guideline, you have the 2006 guidelines, and you have these FCC fines issued in 2004 against these Fox affiliates. And what's that important those- to point out here is that these two instances that really amp things up, the, the, the Super Bowl halftime show, the Golden Globes award, were both live television. The, uh, right. the, Fox, the, uh, the Fox situation is taped television. But and I think that's right. important to point out because they happen in situations where yes, there's technology to put things on delay, but there's all sorts of reasons why that's not employed often technically, especially in television. But it's, it makes it more like radio. It makes it more like your morning shows or your Bubba the Love Sponge because those are also circumstances in which the violations ostensibly happen in a live environment, not a taped environment. Right. So all of that gets compressed into one challenge. Fox TV brings to the Supreme Court. Goes to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court says the FCC has the, the right to enforce the rules. Doesn't make a constitutional ruling on whether or not the current rules, the 2006 rules, are actually valid. Remands it to the D.C. Circuit. D.C. Circuit says the rules are unconstitutional. The whole thing should be thrown out. Supreme Court takes case and splits the baby and says the current rules are invalid. and But the FCC still has the power to enforce indecency. So they sort of sort of divide the cake there. So the FCC, in response to the Fox television decision from the Supreme Court, releases the final standard, and it is the one that is still in effect today, loosely in effect today. It's called the egregious standard. More subjective than any of the other standards, it's not clearly defined by the FCC as to what constitutes indecency, but the FCC has said that they will only issue a fine in what they determine to be an egregious situation. There are only four fines issued in this time frame, the most notable of which went to WBJ-TV for a newscast. 6 p.m. newscast or local evening newscast runs a story about a new local firefighter. The new firefighter is a woman, but she also had been an, uh, a pornography uh, performer 
in an earlier part of her life. During the newscast, during the story, this package that they produced about this new person, um, they took a screenshot from a pornographic website with her image in it. And that is not what actually gets them the fine. There is a GIF ad in the lower right-hand corner of a uh, large penis being masturbated that runs live on the screen, left lower left part of the screen, um, during the newscast. Now, how they didn't catch that when they were doing their post, I don't have any idea. But that's what happens. Deadlines can be very brutal. Okay, well... The FCC issues them a $325,000 fine for this. Now, there have been other fines under the egregious situation, but none of them went up, although they were the statutory maximum. Now, it was very, it looked like the egregious standard would go to court because of this case. But WBJ-TV, DBJ-TV, was the station where the reporter was shot on camera. Oh, no. You remember this when this happened? She was doing a stand-up and a guy walked up and shot her on the air. That station was sold after that event. And the new owners agreed to pay the fine rather than fight it as a condition of the license transfer. What a strange tale. So that, the egregious situation has never been, the egregious standard has never been challenged in court as of this moment. And that's where we stand today. It is only in a situation that the FCC determines that egregious standard has been violated that the FCC will take action. So, but that, do, no, that doesn't mean that indecency has gone away. Professor Kyla Wagner and I, uh, she is a she has media law professor at the University of Syracuse, have a paper that we wrote together. It's very similar to the one that you talked about earlier. But we looked at the 2020 Super Bowl halftime show. So this is just prior to COVID, right? You have J-Lo up there, stripper pole, dancing routine, everything. Even in 2020, the FCC got more than 1,300 complaints about the Super Bowl halftime show. Hmm. This has not gone away. It is still a thing. Sexy women of color doing, doing their thing on the stage. Our conclusion in the paper that's about to be published is basically that, that that's what people were sort of objecting to. But the point is, is that people are still complaining to the FCC about broadcaster content that they object to, right? And not for political reasons, but for sexual or excretory organs or activities or the assumption that content is somehow indecent. What are... What are people at radio stations supposed to do with all of this information? Is it even fair to ask if you if you work at a community radio station and you play records, if you have a talk show on a college radio station, what do you do with all of this information? How do you proceed? Well, I think the I mean, I'm not an attorney. I'm a policy guy. But I mean, I think the sage advice and the one that I give to my students is that you have to consider the community in which you're doing this, right? It's the FCC isn't out there monitoring all the content in some sort of big brother way. They're only going to take action if there's a citizen that complains. 
right? And that's where you're likely to get yourself in trouble is if you offend somebody locally with the content. Do you have any enemies in the listening area? Well, but that's, I mean, you you say it so justly, Eric, but that's actually the exact point. But remember, indecent content can be aired locally between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. without there's the safe harbor provision still applies. And this goes back to the difference between indecency and obscenity. The court said to the FCC, you can't immediately eliminate or completely eliminate indecency. You can just control when it's on the air. And then they left it to the FCC to decide what indecency was. But if you stay away from Carlin's 730 words and you don't get repetitive, it is repetition that gets you in trouble more times than not. A stray one, it's not good, but it's less likely to get you in trouble. If you just rip off a string of profanity or you get into a long and very detailed description of something sexual excretory. During the non-safe harbor hours. During the non-safe right. harbor hours. That's why, yeah, that's why the that's best advice to talk radio people, especially if your guest uses an uh, uh, obscene language, is no, just not obscene language. I think it's very important indecent language. that yeah. we indecent. use the word indecent because we have to be very careful. I'm still confused about difference. the two. That's the problem. So, so let me let me let me take down. a stab at but, the indecency the, obscenity thing. But the but the important thing to do is to to uh, address it immediately and to 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 put a stop to it as the host as quickly as possible because that per, that shows that that demonstrates that you uh, that you took it seriously and you didn't want it to go twice. Right. But, I mean, I think ahead. I think what it is here, right, where, where we get confused with indecency and obscenity. Obscenity is illegal, can be illegal. You may be jailed and prosecuted for it. Okay, that is the difference. And so it, it is something which, by its very nature, is so over the top that its very utterance in, calls about state action to put somebody in jail. Right. And, and that's why I asked Chris, I begged the question, has anyone been prosecuted ever for obscenity on the airwaves? And the answer is no. That it's really not, it, it, it's not even a third rail. The rail is, an, is, is in another county. The rail is in another, is in another island. Indecency is speech, which, as, as Chris says, officially, legally is protected. It means you or I can say it. There are circumstances and situations where our saying it might cause us problems and trouble, but won't put us in jail. We might get kicked out of a place. A place can tell us that we can't speak that way there. We might, you know, and the FCC has the ability to regulate and say, you may say it at 4 a.m., but you may not say it at 4 p.m. Yeah. And, and so all these words we use like profane, uh, expletive, etc., are all sort of versions right. of what is officially by policy called indecent. Indecency. And what's important and about indecency is that it's a word that was almost invented for broadcast. And what's tripping me definition. up is the is colloquially the word obscenity is not itself Correct. obscene. Yeah, that's the problem. When Things we have that are obscenities that have, are not. They have sort of policy and legal definitions that are more specific than they are used in, the most, in everyday language. The, the most easy- commonly well-known obscenities are indecent language, right? not obscene language. But they're not obscene. They're yeah. profane. Yeah. That's the difference. <laughs> Carlin's seven dirty words are profanity, not obscenity. Else, they were never obscene. If, if, if it were not, it would have been, if it, the case that he, they were obscene, every performance that he gave of that routine 
through to the right. time in which he died, he would have been taken off in handcuffs. And while which we, is more of the Lenny Bruce story. Right. We know of that happening time. in earlier decades, but by the time we get to the late 70s to, to present, by and large, comedians are not being uh, arrested for obscenity it, and hauled off to jail. Is it fair then to say, Christopher, that the best advice for radio folks is just to uh, proceed carefully? Just, you know... Don't offend someone in your local community, and you're probably <laughs> 70 or 80 percent of the way there. Right? Or if you're I going mean, to offend them, do it for the right reasons and right. not for yeah. the wrong reasons. Yeah. The advice I used to give uh, to college students was, look, um, you have a powerful megaphone with a radio station, and you may at times need to offend people in power for political reasons. Don't squander it by offending it for for offending them or offending other people for relatively uh, shallow reasons. Yeah, but it, you can see how it, it, depending on who's in charge, it, it it's really difficult to know. Yeah, and we're, not, we're I mean we're really not qualified to give the advice. But the other thing, well, and this no, is, could be podcast version right. now. But what I would I will say is the other thing, Chris. I note from from your your timeline in history, right? Is that basically a background that everyone should be paying attention to, all broadcasters at the very least, is what, what is going on in, in the culture and what is going on in the Congress. Because that, right. is, that is, I think, a precursor, right? And it's why we have this quietness in the early 2000s about indecency, because the pressure was off. Congress wasn't looking into it as much. The culture at large, the culture war had shifted. We had a right. Republican administration. And it wasn't until an incident put it back on the on the radar did now the FCC have a fire under its butt to, to start issuing fines again. But it, that fu- for all that happened that year, there were only 12 fines yeah. issued, and only one of them was for content that actually occurred in 2004. And in 2005... For all the hubbub that we had in 2004, not one fine issued for indecency and in 2005. It's in 2005-ish, which in which the FCC proposed a fine for Community Radio KBOO here in right. Portland, Oregon, for a song called Your Revolution, which is um, by an artist named Sarah Jones, which uh, really didn't seem to meet any standard of indecency to any reasonable no. person, except for the fact that you know, she refers to your revolution will not happen between my, these thighs, which, you know, is <laughs> very hard to construe as indecent. But in fact, the FCC did ultimately withdrawing its fine because there was so much sort of uh, flack it received for for the for the proposition. But, it, it, you know, and that was sort of a circumstance I remember, of course, being in community radio at the time. It, it caused a, a, a chill went through community radio when it was first proposed because it felt like we had gone from the even the uneven, difficult to traverse ground right. that we had of, well, stay away from the seven dirty words. Okay, stay away from sort of gratuitous descriptions. And now it seems like anything that Who sort knows? of yeah. might be construed as sexual excretory is now is now uh, and, for the taking, although ultimately but, the FCC stepped back on its fine. And I, I would like to add that working at community radio stations during that time period, what my what the managers who I respected highly mentioned is like it we just can't afford well, that's Any the problem, this. right? We can't afford we can't afford it. No matter who's right or who's wrong, if this happens to us, 
this is going to push us over the edge. And this, well, was, I, a, this, this was at a station with the, with the budget. The well, most well, recent conversation one. that everyone has had about indecency, of course, is exactly that conversation. That even now, you know, here we are eight years after the, uh, or it was five years when it happened, five years after this egregious standard, the FCC has issued only less than a half dozen fines under the standard. Trump uses the S word to describe countries where immigrants are coming from. And even news organizations as powerful as NPR really had sort of a open discussion about whether or not they could actually use the actual term used by the president on the air. And I've called this the living legacy, right? Because much like the the sort of myth of the fairness doctrine, indecency enforcement isn't a myth, but it's not this this overriding big brother approach to media. And although there was this time where even a single utterance of that word was potentially finable up to $325,000, those days are gone. And, and, right? and arguably, even during that time, I'm going to guess on the word, these words were uttered many times, especially on radio stations around the country in all sorts of fleeting ways, often accidental ways, or played as part of a popular song that happens to have it in a fleeting way. Um, and nothing happened. Yeah. It's, uh, well, they actually called the 2006 standard the fleeting expletive standard. So, I mean, but it's, it comes back down to that, that sort of really basic point, that this is still a thing, but it is a thing that is bigger in imagination than it is in reality, much like the fairness doctrine, which is how we got on this topic in the yeah. first place. And it's I, I mentioned this one of the last times we talked about profanity on broadcast. It just seems so funny now that now that we've lived with the Internet for the entire full span of life for humans who are adults that can that can run for president, you know, like the internet's just been there, not to mention cable television. And, and these things now are in our lives with the exact same amount of ubiquity as broadcast was 40 years ago. It's, it, it's all the same media. And yet there's this on Netflix, you can see it all. And, but that's, that's a really important point. And it's a good one to wrap up today on. The same content that appears on a broadcasting station that could be ruled indecent and generate a fine would not do so on cable and cannot do so on the Internet. And that's a really important point. Broadcasting is still treated as sort of the lowest level of protection of all of the different forms of media that we have. So the content that appears on the Internet, which is absolutely protected by the First Amendment, unless it's one of the six areas of unprotected speech, it's protected there, but it is not necessarily protected for broadcasters. And that's where that fear that broadcasters have comes from. Right, and we should mention that Howard Stern is now on satellite radio. Which is also not regulated in the yeah. same way and, and, that and traditional broadcasters are. If I'm not mistaken, that was like, this is why I am doing this move. Because I'm tired of the FCC being on my back and making my job difficult. It's no fun anymore. I'm going to satellite radio. 
Yeah, well, that and Clear Channel didn't want to pay him anymore. But, you know, <laughs> well. details, right? Guys, it's always fun. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you guys soon.